One second. I'm back. How many of you looked at that door and waited for me to come back in? Huh? That's the disciples. That's the people of the era. They had seen the signs. They knew he was coming, and they stood there waiting, and they were like, yes, he's coming. Okay, they said Hosanna, but I sound a bit more excited than Hosanna, doesn't it? <laughs> Hosanna sounds so calm and peaceful, but it's a really excited term. Little did they know that a week later, everything they had hoped for came crashing down. Everything they imagined was about to happen was naught. They were faced with the greatest disappointment they'd ever known. Have you ever been disappointed? Raise your hand. Only if you've been disappointed, raise your hand. Oh, look at these guys. Huh? Just everyone listens. That's pretty good. What did that disappointment look like to you? Huh? Did a relationship not happen? Did it crash? Did it burn? Did someone die? There are countless ways that disappointment hits us. But every time it hits us, Somehow disappointment you can't truly prepare for. You know it's coming sometimes, but there's nothing that changes that impact of when it hits you in the gut and you are like, what just happened? Not quite the same as that sound. But disappointment comes and we get set back. And when those setbacks come, we've got a few options. We can kind of embrace the disappointment and sit and sulk. Or we can, we can do what the Bible tells us to do. How did you respond when you experienced your greatest disappointment? I lived in denial for, for years trying to cope with the disappointment. It took me years literally years, and no more hair left to cope with the disappointment. The crowd that saw Jesus coming, that was so excited, had to face a disappointment like they'd never understood before. They'd been under Roman rule for, I don't even know, countless times, countless years. Now, Rome was actually quite a cool place to live if you were a Roman. And it was incredibly pro prosperous, outlived length of time than the United States has been, been more prosperous than the United States have been. Everyone really wanted to be a part of Rome, except for a few small outliers, which Rome just made be part of them anyway. But those few outliers experienced a lot of pressure. They had to change who they were. They had to become different in every possible way. Their cultures had to blend and merge. And they lost their own identities. 
And this is where Israel was standing. They've been facing the oppression of Rome for a long time. And they could see their identity slipping away, being crushed by the Roman power. So how did they deal with the disappointment of a Messiah who's not who they thought he would be? See, they expected the Messiah to be a, a powerful rebel. And there were rebels at the, at the time that were trying to overthrow Rome. They were expecting their Messiah to come and just kind of wipe out Rome. But their Messiah in this situation didn't so much as lift a finger against Rome. In fact, in fact, he even told everyone to pay their taxes to Rome. What kind of a Messiah was this? At least Barabbas, or how do you guys pronounce Barabbas? 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 Barabbas, okay. At least Barabbas stood up. He fought. He at least made the Romans think twice. But this Jesus, what did he do? So when Rome took Jesus in as a prisoner, they faced their disappointment of, well, clearly this was not our Messiah. But now we have a problem because we've all welcomed him in as our Messiah openly in front of Rome. Rome's coming after us. We're in trouble. What are we going to do? So what did they do? They turned on their Messiah. They just gave up. They chose Barabbas instead because Barabbas could at least liberate. Or at least they thought. Maybe they ask questions like, did, really, did Jesus really do all those miracles? Did he really come riding on a donkey? Did God really, did he really? That sound familiar? We've just been dealing with that in Genesis, haven't we? Did God really? And so the doubt that we so easily given to grew and great disappointment set in. Hebrews 12.1 teaches us that sin easily entangles us. So once doubt takes root, sin grows, and it easily entangles us. We've learned over the last few weeks that sin begins often by doubting who God is and what God is doing. And this crowd doubted God. Their view of God did not fit their picture that they had formed of him. They were expecting a conquering king. They didn't even realize they received the Messiah, who is a suffering servant. They weren't looking for a suffering servant. So with that, I want us just to take a moment and just think about how you perceive God, how you obtain that, because your perceptions of God are going to carry you through or not. Your, your distress, your, your doubts, your disappointments. See, as far as they could see, that he was clearly not their Messiah anymore. So they just gave up. They had to go and pretend to love Rome again and just wait for their Messiah in peace. Hebrews 12, 1 is what it says. This is what it says. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witness. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Be very careful when doubt starts to come. Sin is right on its heels. Our text this morning will give us some insight, will help us get some insight on how to deal with disappointment. To do that, I'm going to have to use some others to help us along the way. Okay, but let's just note the crowd's response to Jesus arriving on a donkey. See, they recognized very well that the king riding on a donkey is going to be their Messiah. They knew it. They, re- they all know Zechariah 9.9. By the time they were 12, they all could recite it. Okay? So they saw this, and they saw the miracles. They were overjoyed, to state the least. They were pretty pumped up. And I wonder what the owner of that donkey thought. The Messiah is going to be indebted to me? He used my donkey? I wonder. I don't know, but I wonder. They stood up to Rome and welcomed their conquering king openly and without fear of reprisal. That's how they reacted at first. Because riding on that donkey, down that road, was the one who was going to flatten the Romans, to tread on them with the wrath of God. Wrath. I'm even trying to say it so you guys can understand me. The wrath of God. They weren't afraid for a moment. They had courage for a moment. But what a difference one week can make. They were finally going to get the peace that they had been waiting for. The peace owed to Israel is how they felt. If only they knew the peace that they needed was standing in their midst in a different way than they were expecting. But then one week later, disappointment hits. Rome takes Jesus in. How could this happen? This idiot lied to us. How, could he, how, how did we make it right with Rome? I mean, there will be consequences. Nonetheless, dashed dreams, crushed expectations, deep, doubt-filling disappointment. Did God really? Did God really do that? Does God really care? Does He really hear my prayers? How does disappointment set in for you? So they gave up. They lashed out. Took matters into their own hands and called for Barabbas to be released as opposed to the true Messiah. Because, like we said, Barabbas at least fought Rome. He raised up a group of people and a bunch of rebels, and they went against Rome. Perhaps if we get him out the clinker, he would at least rise to power and overthrow Rome. See, this crowd reminds me a lot about the parable of the sower. Now, we know, this, we know the parable quite good. Some lands on the pathway, some lands on good soil, some lands on the rocky grounds. This crowd reminds me of the rocky ground. Do you remember the story? The roots, it lands there, and it springs up quickly. I'll, I'll read it to you. Matthew 13, verses 5 and 6, and then I'm going to re- repeat 21 to 22, where Jesus explains the, the, 
the parable, or part, at least part of it relating to what we're dealing with. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. The seed, falling on rocky ground, refers to... Now, this is Jesus explaining it. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Sounds like the crowd at this point. Yeah, the king is coming. Yeah, he's coming, coming, coming. Yes, let's throw our cloaks out there. Let's get extra washing done this week. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. That sounds a lot like the crowd. They quickly fall away. And when your hopes and your dreams have a bit of resistance and, they get, and you get a bit of disappointment, where do you land? Do you quickly fall away? I will ask again, how do you respond when faced with disappointment? How deep into the knowledge of who God is do your roots grow? Can you still trust him when things don't work out the way you hope? The way you hope. But you know what? There was somebody else in that crowd. There's somebody in that crowd who also experienced disappointment. It wasn't part of that crowd. That's Jesus. How did he respond, and how should we, who call him Lord, respond? See, Jesus saw the people. He knew they were going to betray him. And there was deep, deep disappointment, to the point where he wept. So there's two things that Jesus did in dealing with his disappointment. Firstly, he found the positives. He found the little victories. These guys are at least on the right idea. They are worshipping. And if they don't worship, even the rocks are going to worship. He celebrated the victories, no matter how big or small they were. And then he wept. He mourned. You see, it is okay to feel loss when you experience disappointment when things don't work out the way as you expect. It's all right to feel it. But don't let those feelings of loss overtake the truth. Jesus, at the point of having wept, continued on his path to the cross. From there, he went and continued preaching. He did not give up. He did not lose his focus. He mourned. So, Firstly, <clears throat> excuse me, find your victories, mourn your losses, and then keep going. That's the path that Jesus followed. But I want to propose five ways to continue on your path when disappointment comes your way. Very simple to remember. Set your focus. Reset the subject of your focus. Endure press on, and remain steadfast. 
Colossians 3.2 tells us that we are to set our minds on things above. When disappointment hits, it's easy to get consumed in self and the, 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 the handling of matters around you, whatever that disappointment might be. But the Bible tells us to set our, thing, our thoughts on things above. Rise your head, your mind, outside of the situation and look up. Psalm 118 or 100, Psalm 121, verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Set your, things on, your, your, your thoughts on things above. Take a moment to gather yourself, to mourn, to celebrate the victories, no matter how small or big, and then refocus. Set your subjects on things, your thoughts on things above, but what do you focus on? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. To fix our eyes on Jesus. There is no disappointment that cannot be conquered by Jesus. There is no disappointment that can weigh up against the power of what Jesus has done for us. There is no disappointment that can keep us down. Because if death couldn't keep Christ down, how can our disappointments, empowered by God, us empowered by Christ himself, be held down by a disappointment if death can't hold Christ down? And then to endure. Hebrews 12.2 continues and says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So don't give up. Don't lash out in your disappointment, and don't try to do it your own way. The Jews did it their own way at that time. They called for Barabbas, Barabbas, and they wanted still to have their peace, their victory through war. Victory has to start here in the heart, not in the flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 speaks about our, ba our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers and authorities and principles in this dark world. It's not flesh and blood. It starts here. This is where the peace needs to begin. To endure means to remain standing. Remember, the armor of God is there to empower you to remain standing. For the note takers, armor of God is chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. Good job. And then to press on. Philippians 3, 13 to 14 says, Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. So as we press on, we need to let go of the disappointment. We've mourned it. We've accepted it. But we need to still push on. We can't stay there in that place and wallow in our self-pity. And finally, remain steadfast. Now, this is a cool one because steadfast means to remain resolute or to be dutifully firm and unwavering. Don't let the experiences of this world dull the truth of who God is in your life. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. To conclude, what, what would bring you peace? The only answer that can fully satisfy is Jesus. In fact, that's what he, 
he was weeping and he says to them, let me just find it quickly for you. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. What would bring you peace? They were looking for the wrong peace. If they'd only grasped the peace of Jesus' power on the cross, which we'll address next week, so I won't go too much into it. I'm jealous of you, Chad. It's a godly jealousy. It's a good thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page now. There we go. See, in the midst of disappointment, you need peace. You need Jesus. Today, Jesus says, if only you, even you, had known what would bring you peace. Jesus is speaking that to people today. If you would only know what would bring you peace. The ultimate peace we all seek is to be obtained because of next week. So therefore, in your disappointments, focus. Find Jesus. Look at him. It actually makes me think about something that happened this week. My father died 26 years ago on Easter weekend. And for the first, probably the second time... I had the most incredible depth of emotions this week. Now, I'm a guy that can pretty much control my emotions without much issues, okay? I struggled this week because I saw a photo of my father's face. I just wanted to be by him. I wanted to see him. And that's the same. It's going to work with you when you see Jesus' face. You're just going to long to be with him. You're going to long to overcome all this world has done to you. And then you will endure through it, you will press on, and you will be steadfast. And then we will experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, the one who died to bring us peace. Remember, that crowd back then was, expected, was expecting a conquering king, but got a suffering servant. And no matter what this world does to you, you need to remember that our suffering servant is coming as the conquering king. The world expects a suffering servant, but not the, quite the way that Jesus is. They expect a genie in a bottle servant, but they're going to get a conquering king. There is nothing in this world that is worth stressing about because our conquering king is coming. And we can face any disappointment because he has conquered death. He has conquered pain. He has conquered fears. He has conquered sickness. He has conquered everything for you. We can have peace because our conquering king is coming. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, you are so awesome. If we could just see your face, we would, we would be throwing our cloaks out in front of you. be offering you our cars. Saying, come, come Lord Jesus, come to our church. And in fact, come to our church and just, just come Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are coming again. We thank you for, for what you teach over this next week in history. And most importantly, we thank you for the coming week where you willingly laid down your life, that the Father raised you up and gave us life. We thank you that there is no disappointment that you can't hold us securely through. And we thank you, Lord God, that you walk with us day by day, because without you, we wouldn't have the strength to continue in this world. I pray that you... That you help us go through this next week. Give us thoughts carefully about what you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.